0: This is not something that you hear very often, but believe it or not, this week I had a late night, two and a half hour church committee meeting that fed my soul, that truly gave me hope. Now, even if you're just a casual observer and you're you're not really a follower of things in the church, nor a follower of Jesus, even hearing what I just said, um, knowing human nature, two and a half hour committee meeting at late at night, you know, that generally means great sadness and frustration. Actually, this meeting brought me great hope. Even in this season of life, of the chaos and confusion of the coronavirus, I was encouraged. My soul was fed. It gave me great hope. And I think there's a story in the Bible that's similar um, to what I experienced this week how, um, indeed, Christians can come together in the midst of trying times and truly feed one another's hope. So that their, their hope is reinvigorated, that they're reminded of what we are living for. And that's the same thing that the Apostle Paul, one of the, the first missionaries in the early church, experienced with the community of Jesus followers in Thessalonica. One of the places that he visited on many of his journeys. Uh, Today, the the first Sunday after Easter Sunday, as we as the in the church we practice this Easter season, we're going to be starting a new series um, looking at Paul's letters to the community of Jesus followers in Thessalonica. There's two letters in the New Testament, first and second Thessalonians, yes, I know creative names. Uh, But their theme truly is about Christian hope. And uh, we won't go into what Christian hope is so much uh, today. We will in the ensuing weeks. But one of the the key things that that Paul reminds um, his hearers in Thessalonica, the the readers of the letter, the Jesus followers there, is that their, their hope, what they're living for, is that one day Jesus will return and he will renew all of God's creation. He will renew us according to God's beautiful, glorious purposes. And that's what we look forward to. That's what we live for. And in that day, just as in our day, the purpose of the church then is to truly feed one another's hope in living for that eventual end. And so the first ten verses of this first letter to the church in Thessalonians, uh, to the the collection of Jesus followers in Thessalonica is um, what we'll be looking at, where we'll learn how did they feed one another's hope in such a trying time. But before we get there, what we need to understand is a little bit of the story, the backstory behind this letter. What was going on? Um, how did um, uh, Paul meet with this group of Jesus followers in this um, uh, this community? And um, uh, where you'll need to look is in the book of Acts, chapter 16 through 18. Tell that story. Um... Uh, we won 't turn there or look at that now but i 'll summarize it uh, for us um, but uh afterwards or if you for more information, you can go look at that um that story that that tells the story the book of acts tells the story of the early church after jesus resurrection and ascension what how does the church and the power of the holy Spirit um act how do they move what what happens to them how do they grow um, um, but this one particularly in chapter sixteen through eighteen is the story of Paul and his friends, Timothy and Silvanus, also known as Silas. Um, And this story is is fraught with challenges and difficulties. I mean, um, Paul and his friends, they are imprisoned, they are attacked, they are beaten, they are thrown out of city after city. And the same thing happens when they come to um, Thessalonica. Uh, Or Thessalonica. Um, When he gets uh, to what what would be their usual um, in a city, they would go to the synagogue, the place where the, the Jews would meet. And Paul, as, as a Jew, would go there and he'd tell them the story of Jesus. You know, they say, Jesus is God in the flesh. He came and lived among us. He, he, he has given us, um, he, he's fulfilling uh, what the prophets said in uh, our scriptures. And he's now taking us in the ways of God and the, the plan and purpose of God. And he's showing us a, a new way. That he would have us all follow together. That not only is just for us Jews, but for anybody that wants to be a part. So, Paul would gather in those groups and say, Come, come join with us. Come be a part of it. And most of the time, um, he was opposed directly. And he went, uh, it took three Sabbath gatherings for Paul and Timothy and Silas to gather with Thessa, um, the folks in Thessalonica, Thessalonica and they, uh, before, they then turned on them. And if you go and look in the book of Acts, it says that the leaders of the synagogue, they gathered some ruffians, and they formed a mob uh, in order to run them out of town. They even went to some of the other Jesus followers in the community, particularly, it tells us the name, of Jason. Jason was one of the leaders with, um, who started following Jesus with, when Paul came to share that message. Um, took, they grabbed, they, they, um, ransacked Jason's house, pulled him out, and ran them out of town. And um, Paul uh, and, and even chased them to the next place they went because they then went to Berea and the Thessalonica. They, they heard that that had happened. Um, and so they went and chased him there and ran them out of Berea as well. Eventually, Paul split up from uh, Timothy and Silas and Paul went uh, to to Athens and then finally to Corinth. While Timothy and and Silas, they went back uh, to visit the other churches. And Paul, at this stage, is very concerned um, about the the churches in these other places. He doesn't know what happened to the little group of Jesus followers uh, that was uh, in Thessalonica. Uh, What what happened to to that group and to the other places that as well, they, they met a similar fate um, and uh, what uh, happens is eventually in Corinth, Paul uh, is able to find a little peace, a little respite, and he, he's able to actually to stay there for a year and a half. And while there, Timothy and Silas, they come back and they reunite, and they tell him the story of what they had heard in the different um, places they had been to reconnect. With the Jesus followers in those communities, Uh, most of them, they'd been run out of uh, those communities. And now uh, Paul was hearing what had gone on and what he heard about the church in uh, Thessalonica. Is that this little group, this uh, with Jason and a few others, was a really it, it, was, it was quite a patchwork of people. There were some Jews that were a part of the group. There were some God-fearing Gentiles, so they they're not Jewish, but they did believe in Yahweh, um, the, the the God of the Jews, and and also some pagans. The people that believed in like Zeus and and went to the pagan temples that that, uh, was quite a diverse group in in Thessalonica that was believing in Jesus. They were small. Um, uh, They were uh, probably mostly all uneducated and um, uh, mostly uh, uh, mostly poor, Uh, but they were committed to following Jesus. Together. They'd been, just like Paul, attacked, beaten up, and attacked and beaten up again. And Paul has now heard from Timothy what had happened, that they indeed had been strong in the Lord. And that is what fed Paul's hope. So that's where we'll pick up. That so it's in response to hearing that that then this letter, this first letter, is written. And the first ten verses, uh, chapter one of Thessalonians of uh, First Thessalonians, uh, verses one through ten, um, give us Paul's response to what he's heard about what's going on with the Jesus followers in that community. Uh, let's pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for your written word that speaks to us of your truth. Now may your spirit take it so that we might hear it, uh, we might um, receive it, and we might do uh, according to your good and perfect will. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. All right, Um, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. who delivers us from the wrath to come? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, and so as you, as you read this passage, you, you catch Paul's um, his, his emotion here, his, his joy, his gratitude, his energy. You capture from his words how his hope has been felt or has been fed, and, and that hope is all around in the words that he is sharing. And his hope is based on the fact that he he hears from uh, Paul and Silvanus about the followers of Jesus in Thessalonica. And that that he knows that their hope is real. And their their hope is real because God is real. And God is real in their lives uh, is obvious because of their steadfastness in the faith. Because of how God is Strengthening them in the midst of such persecution and opposition. It is obvious that God is working in the Jesus followers in Thessalonica. And that's what feeds Paul's hope. I mean, it's obvious that Paul says, verses 4 and 5, that God has chosen them um, to believe in the, the message, the good news of Jesus. And in the midst of such persecution and opposition. Uh, Here again, verse uh, four and five. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. The Holy Spirit was clearly present in them uh, from what? From their visit with them and what they heard about them afterwards now we're not told specifically some of the ways that the Holy Spirit may have been um, evidenced in them um, in other passages if you go back and look in Acts or some of the other um, visits that Paul had with other folks uh, you'll see uh, manifestations of the Holy Spirit like speaking in tongues or or miracles or healings or, or things like that but in this uh, particular um, situation we're not given any of those um, events, but what we are told, the, the simple fact that the Jesus followers in Thessalonica are still faithful to Jesus, that their lives, their priorities, um, their view of reality has been drastically changed because they have believed in the message of Jesus and that that he is God in the flesh who has come to renew all of creation. And they were willing to believe that and trust in him, even in the face of physical attack and threats, even in being thrown out of their homes, being, uh, losing their jobs, thrown out of the city. They still followed Jesus. They still held to him as their Lord and Savior. Uh, one who, historian who's studied the um, church in Thessalonica throughout the, the century said in those early years every one of the um, followers of Jesus in Thessalonica would have either been beaten or attacked, or they knew directly someone who was beaten, attacked, or killed for the faith. Now, If they're facing that kind of physical opposition, that kind of emotional attack, it is a miracle of God that they continue to choose to follow Jesus and keep following him. It is a sign that, that God's um, hands are upon them and they are firm in God's grasp. That's the real miracle and the sign that God is real in them. That their hope is real and that Paul's hope is real. The, the second thing uh, that Paul mentions to them is the, about them is in verse 6. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So the other um, thing that he hears is that God is still changing them. He's still transforming their lives, that, that they are still seeking to imitate them as, uh, as their leaders, as their leaders, as Paul seeks to try to imitate Jesus. Their, their lives continue to be changed. God is still at work transforming them. How, how they lived as followers of Jesus was totally different than how they lived, whether it was as a pagan or as a Jew. Things changed drastically regardless of their background. Now, we won't go into the details today about all of those changes, but we will go into those in much more detail as we work through the letters because the detail comes out in the rest of the letter. But Jesus is not just something they gave a mental assent to. that They just said they believed. They, they weren't just giving lip service. They were giving life service to following Jesus. It impacted what they did and who they were. And and the the story came back to Paul that not only are they following Jesus, but it's a power of the Holy Spirit that they have joy in doing it. Even in such opposition, even in such pain. That, and that joy c- continues to flow from them, which then leads to the, the third point that, that Paul brings up, that he sees in them. Not only has God chosen them, that they choose to follow Jesus, not only are they being changed by Jesus still, even in the face of persecution, but that, that joy that they have is flowing out of them, and it's encouraging the other followers of Jesus in the other communities, and that joy is also reaching others that don't know Jesus. Jesus and is a part of inviting them to come join with them and be a part of the community that follows Jesus. Um, here, um, the, the last uh, three or four verses, uh, starting with verse uh, 7 uh, through the end, and you'll hear, hear this point of Paul's, of how, why his hope is fed by the community of Jesus' followers in Thessalonica. So... That you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. See, the, the, this story of their conversion, of their, them turning to God from their idols. It is, it is being told to others around them and those that, that don't know Jesus are hearing as well as others. And it's encouraging those in the faith and it's inviting those who are not in the faith. See, this is the answer that we find in Thessalonians in this first part of the letter. Of how we feed one another's hope in a broken world. We, we continue to tell the stories of God being at work in us. We tell those stories to one another who are following Jesus and to those that don't follow them. And that, that, that feeds the hope of the person telling the story and the person hearing it. I mean, it worked then, in that day. And this, this persecuted minority of oppressed, small, diverse group of freshman Christians. I mean, they weren't well trained. They, they had not um, been educated in the faith. But they were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and God's work was obvious in them. And that story was told and shared and it fed the hope of the believers all around them. And so we, we learn the same thing for ourselves Today. I mean, we apply this passage in our own lives by sharing our stories with one another about how God is at work in us, how God is is teaching us, how he's uh, um, encouraging us, how he's disciplining us, how he's correcting us. How is God at work in you share that with other followers of Jesus in order to feed one another's hope? How is the power of the resurrection more than just a story, but how is it a real power in your life? How is God impacting your life today? See, that's what happened at that church meeting that I was talking about at the beginning of the the sermon. It was actually a session meeting. Some of you have been on a session. You, you, you uh, may just have grown faint to hear the miracle of how a session meeting fed my hope. But it was in, I want to share you just three stories. There were other stories that were shared. But we, we take some time at a session meeting as elders uh, of the church. Um, it's the, the leadership body of, of the church but we take some time at the beginning of meeting to just share what what are what can we pray for one another about what are we thankful for what is god doing in your lives and uh, three of the the stories that were shared just fed my soul one was of a an elder who had uh, been at home uh, with um their spouse and that was the only people that were in their home and um you know Given that Easter they had to practice social distancing, there was none of the the family gathering that usually is the case, and so uh, they were really depressed, just sad, just uh, overwhelmed, and uh, said they had to leave their house, just get in the car, drive up to a drive through, um, get some coffee, and then. Come home just to get out of the house. But along the way, on the drive there and back, the eyes started to open. And you saw, or this person saw, that the trees were starting to bud. That the, the flowers were in full bloom. The the azaleas were starting to shine. The, the sky was particularly blue. The, the clouds, the beautiful white and Realized in that moment, oh yeah, God is still at work and control, sustaining the creation in the fullness of their beauty. And nothing can stop that. And in sharing that, encouraged us all and encouraged me to be on the lookout. Now, where is God still at work? Another shared that they had a business call, a Zoom call, the number of folks on Good Friday. And they had told the group that they, since this elder was going to have to make a presentation, that the elder was going to include in the presentation just a little devotion about Good Friday, because as a follower of Jesus, this day was very significant and That this elder had listened to a couple of the devotions from the Good Friday devotions that we had from a variety of pastors in the city, and the elder took some of those devotions, put them together, and shared that um, via a Zoom call, an online meeting, with the folks in his group, and had afterwards. Uh, one of the co-workers responded with a, with an email saying how they had been touched and moved and really appreciated um, that. And what a great opportunity uh, to be able to, to share the good news in that setting. And again, in sharing how God had empowered this elder to do that brought me hope and encouragement. And then another shared how because of um, uh, what was uh, with the, all this going on with the coronavirus? They were at home um, on the, the day that the air conditioning technician was going to come, you know, prepare the air conditioning, the HVAC system for the summer. And when the technician arrived, this elder was reading in the Bible, having a time of, of devotion, a time of study. And as the technician walked by, Mentioned ah you're reading in the Bible and they struck up a conversation and both of uh, the technician talked about some of the things that they read um, in the Bible as well and then the elder took the time to to share well this is what I'm reading and and what it's about and was able to share the the good news just like Paul sharing the good news that, that Jesus comes to to renew the earth to renew you and me to make us right with God today and forever. Um, and uh, in that conversation, the uh, air conditioning technician shared some of the pain and struggle um, in his life, and the elder um, said, well, can we pray about that need, and to which then they were able to pray for that particular need in the family. And and so in each one of these stories, and again, there were others, uh, each one were ways that God is at work in the faithful Christians in College Hill, in Cincinnati, in small but simple, clear, powerful ways. And as those stories were shared, my spirit was filled up with joy and hope. And the, the, the meeting had some challenging words as well. There were some uh, uh, good things that were challenging, that were hard. Uh, but because we had shared the ways that we knew God was at work, in concrete ways in our lives, but simple ways, then for, for me and I think for all that were there, it was characterized more by hope and joy because we shared our stories with one another. Now, what we, what we then, for all of us, we can do this as well. We can be in tune with what God is showing us, teaching us, um, how God is leading us, how God is providing for us, how God is loving us in our own lives. Be in tune with that, be aware of that and share it with others. Share it with one another. I mean, that's what hope groups are for. To, to be able to gather around the word of God together and share how it's having impact in our lives. So, because that's what feeds hope. So if you're in a place where you, you are in tune and aware of, you've had events in your life in the, the last several weeks, especially during the time of this corona confusion and chaos, then make note of that and share those stories with others. If you're part of a hope group, then be sure to share those stories there because that's their purpose. But maybe there are others who are like, I... I I'm just out of touch with that. I, am, I do not have those stories. Or you don't. You're not aware of them. Because uh, the, the truth is, God is always at work. The Spirit is, all, uh, is within us, always doing the, the work of the Spirit, always bringing words of truth, bringing acts of love, um, always doing that in our lives. It's just oftentimes we're not aware. We're not tuned into that. And that may be where you are, maybe in just a place of of hopelessness, like the first story I shared of the elders on their way to just get out of the house and get coffee. All of a sudden, the the beauty around them became um, evident and it reminded them of the beauty of God. Well, maybe what I encourage you, be a part of a hope group, but just listen. Hear the stories of God with others. Or in your in your conversation with other Jesus followers, just ask them. So what, what's God teaching you these days? What are you learning? How is God? Uh, how are you experiencing the, the love and beauty of God? Come participate just to hear, and as you hear the stories, you will your hope will be fed. And I, and I think it also has a, a building um, component to it. it built, we build, as we share our stories, that they build on one another. That they, they, they have a multiplying effect um, uh, for all of us. That because it, it, as we hear more and more stories, it, it aligns our vision to be, be looking for more and more stories. To be more and more aware of what God is doing um, in our lives and around us. I mean, have you ever noticed, I think this illustrates this. Have you ever noticed, maybe this happens to you, it happens to me, that when we buy a new car, not not a brand new car, but a car new to us, um, that as after a week or two of driving it, you start to notice when you see that same car, other people driving that same car, Um uh, one, one of my cars, the car that I drive mostly is a, a Buick, and it's a very um, common car in a very common color. So it's popular and in, in it's um, uh, in people buying it and very popular in buying it in this car. And um, so... Uh, you know, I never noticed it until I bought it. Then I started seeing it everywhere and realized how um, prevalent it was. And, and sometimes it surprises me so much and it looks so much like my own car as I'm driving my car going one way on Hamilton and another car that's exactly like mine driving the other way. I'm like, who's driving my car? Uh, forgetting that I'm driving it now. The other Car we have is a Toyota, and it's an unusual um, uh, car. You, know, you don't see a lot of them um, around here. It's because we got it from a family member who lived in Colorado in the mountains, and so it's not as prevalent here. But even then, just this last week, as Kathy and I were driving in it, we saw a car ju- the same type, the same color, and we noticed it right away. And look, there's somebody driving our car. Well, that will happen with a Christian community that, that gathers with each other, telling one another how they've seen God at work, how they've experienced in their own lives or the life around them. It will develop us into a community of, with, with eyes trained, more and more trained to see the work of God around us. That's what Christian fellowship truly is supposed to be, to share stories of God's work in our lives in order to feed our hope. Now, I have one more story that I'd like to share with you. It's a video, and it's a video from a covenant partner, a member of the church who's been a member for a couple years now. Name, she doesn't share her name in the video, but her name is Kelly Uh, And I asked her to just share this story um, with you. Uh, One one word, uh, though, um, uh, I know sometimes it can be hard to to share um, testimonies, to share God's stories of how God is at work in in your life and. uh, and some folks don't like it because they, they feel like they're, they're um, bragging in some way, that it's some kind of spiritual one-upmanship or a holier-than-thou kind of uh, um, presentation. And that's the farthest thing from the truth. Um, the, the response from sharing God's stories is what we want. Um, we want to have the same thing happen um, to us that was happening in the church in the first century. Uh, it's not to bring about envy or criticism but it's about to feed our hope it's to it's about celebrating god and god's work if it's boasting it's boasting in god's work in us so here is kelly sharing just a piece of her uh, the way god is at work in her thank
1: you so my whole life i suffered from something called agoraphobia You've probably heard about that with people who have such anxiety that they become homebound. Thankfully, I never had it to that degree. I was able to go to work, but I couldn't do normal things like go to the movies or out to a restaurant or even drive in the car with somebody else. Going to church was out of the question. I basically lived a life of lies where I was constantly making excuses to myself and other people about why I couldn't do this or why I I couldn't go to that place. I didn't know what agoraphobia was, I just thought I was shy, and that's how I lived my life. Then in 2011, I became a victim of domestic violence, and that shattered what little shell of a life that I had. And for the next six years, I lived in utter darkness. Um, Loss and fear and anger and hatred absolutely consumed my heart. I think actually that it was killing my heart because toward the end of that time I started developing congestive heart failure. I didn't know it because I didn't go to the doctor and I didn't intend to ever go to the doctor, but God had different plans for me. That night I made it home and fell one more time and this time it was it because I wasn't going to be able to take care of myself after that because my injuries were so bad. So two days later I Um, agreed to go to the ER. And within an hour, I was unconscious in the ICU with a do not resuscitate order because I was ready to die. I had always thought that I was a Christian, but now I know I just believed that there was a God. I didn't believe in God. So when I was facing death, I didn't pray. I didn't even think about God. I didn't even think about what would happen after I died. I just knew that the pain would be over. And that was it. But God worked some major miracles in my life that turned things around for me. I did come out of it. And um, after I was released from the hospital, I uh, had physical therapy just to be able to walk down the hall with a walker and an oxygen tank. But God healed me in so many ways. And first, physically. After just a year, I did a half marathon. Um... After the physical recovery got going, um, God then healed me emotionally. He brought such beautiful, wonderful people in my life that just rekindled my heart and and let me love again. And College Hill is where I wound up through another string of miracles. Um, By the way, I had started at College Hill when I was 16 years old, a new driver. I never even heard of the church before. I lived on a completely different side of town. My family wasn't going to church. I I don't know how I ended up there, but I know why I ended up there. I'm sure at this point that God sent me to college Hill then because he knew I needed to be there now. So the first Sunday I went to church, I was such a mess. It took everything in me plus some Valium in order to just make it in the door. But God gave me the will to stay and even to talk to Drew through a drug and anxiety-induced set of tears, um, somehow I worked up the nerve to talk to him. And then he did this really weird thing. He prayed with me. And then he anointed my head with oil. It was so odd. But the next week, I came back. Finally, on Father's Day two years ago, I was riding my bike in Fernbank Park when I met my true father in heaven. In an instant, my heart opened up and I knew that he had been with me through all of those dark times and that he loved me. And then I felt the full weight of my sin and knew that I was absolutely no better than the person who had uh, attempted to destroy my life. Um, I felt such peace and love and joy and it just completely turned my life around until a month later and one month later um, I was doing an assignment for the C.S. Lewis Institute where you had to go out into the woods and spend the whole day with God so I did that and I was meditating on a passage from Mark 8 verse 34 um, where it was said of Jesus that when he had called the people into him with his disciples also he said unto them Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And as I thought about that, I realized that I couldn't do it. I didn't have the courage to take up my own cross. And at that moment, I just lost it. I burst into tears, just uncontrollable tears. I pictured myself turning away from God and walking away. I knew I'd never go back to church again, that I'd never see my new church family again. It was over. And in that moment, Jesus was suddenly beside me. He had his arm around me. And I can't really describe it because at the same time he was beside me and behind me and in front of me. He was inside me. And I was looking into his eyes. And I knew in that moment that as long as I kept my eyes on him, that I could do anything. And since that day, my whole life has changed. With every single breath that I breathe, I thank God for the new life that he's given me. I do have to say that when this coronavirus struck, and we suddenly were facing all of the social distancing and isolation, I did have a little fear rise up in me, that the agoraphobia would come back again, that those neural pathways that I had built would disintegrate, and I would uh, to go back into that state again. But I didn't dwell on it. About a week into the isolation, I realized that I had been waiting for that darkness to descend, and for that fear to rise up. But then suddenly I knew that it wasn't ever going to happen. That it couldn't happen. Because I was a new person. And that even though I had to be alone in these times, I would never be alone ever again the rest of my life. I found my own story in Paul's words. This is from verse 4. For we know that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word... But also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. It's amazing when you find your life in those living words.
0: Now, I hope that was an encouraging word to you. I hope that fed your hope to hear what God is doing in Kelly's life. And now, um, and may all of us, after hearing the word, hearing that story, may may our awareness of what God is doing in our lives uh, be um, multiplied. Uh, may you, you be encouraged by being considering and reflecting on what God has done and is doing in your life and share those stories with others out of joy. Uh, Share it with other Jesus followers and share it uh, with those who don't know him to feed their hope as well. Or if not to feed their hope, maybe even to feed their curiosity about just is Jesus real? Is Jesus hope truly life-giving? And maybe you might be able to invite them to come explore that with you. Because our hope is real. Because God is real and active in our lives. Share those stories of God's love active in your life with whomever will hear. It will feed your hope And we'll feed their hope too. Amen. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we do give you thanks and praise for uh, your work in our lives as your church. That indeed, just as you chose the Jesus followers in Thessalonica, you have chosen us as Jesus followers here in Cincinnati. You have given us the very faith that we have. You have enabled us in the power of your spirit to to be changed by you, to be transformed by you, and to live no matter the circumstances in the joy of the Lord. We give you praise and honor and thanks. And ask that you, uh, in the power of your spirit, will help us to share those stories with one another and with those who don't know you. And Lord, in, in this time as well, we ask um, your blessing upon those who are leading us, particularly those in, in positions of government authority. We continue to pray that you would grant them your wisdom, that they would be um, Guided by the wisdom from above, what is best for the common good and not selfish ambition. We continue to pray for those who are at work in the healthcare industry. And for those who are ill, we pray your protection and your healing hand upon them. We thank you uh, as well for the ways that we get to participate in in loving our community, whether it's at Pleasant Hill Academy or at Christ Community and delivering food or it's in encouraging words to others. And so, Lord, we pray not only for College Hill Presbyterian Church, but for the the church in Cincinnati, for the the church in, in America, for the church around the world that we would be encouraging one another. We'd be sharing those stories. You would build up that hope in us that empowers us then to, to love all who cross our paths, to love our communities so that you are glorified, you are honored, and that our communities are blessed. We pray all of this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.